OpenStack 2015 Tokyo had 5,000 attendees, and we bring in two of them, Dave Kane and our very own Andrew Sullivan, to talk about OpenStack, file shares as a service Manila, and the NetApp sessions. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Pedro Arrow, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast, episode number 13. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as always is... The original GWA, Ginger with Attitude, Glenn Sizemore! <laughs> Glenn, how you doing, buddy? I am not a ginger. Hey, <laughs> I, I don't make them, I just play them. <laughs> I don't know that, that the doctor actually knows what that means. He seems to think you're a ginger. That was not the only one he did. Stand by. Okay. Glenn with Attitude! A little more appropriate. Yeah. Uh, actually, he says that to me all the time. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> Chris knows how to make me laugh like no one in this company. <laughs> Glenn with attitude. Sitting next to Glenn is Mr. Andrew Sullivan. How you doing, sir? I am fully adjusted back to East Coast time, so I'm doing great. You I don't believe that. Fantastic. There's no way you're actually fully adjusted. Yeah, I came to a sad realization while I was in Tokyo. I travel too much because I figured out how to adjust within about two days to any time zone. Okay, and all right. Yeah, no, I, I've hit that point where I travel too much. Congratulations. <laughs> it's a nice place to be. The next step in this process is you start to care about like airline status and what hotel you stay in, and, and then your life just becomes this dark hole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just becomes it, like a spiral. Sky bus. Down, yeah. 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 Then you ride the sky bus. Yeah. Sitting next to Glenn is no stranger to the podcast, Mr. Justin Parisi. Justin, welcome back. Hey, guys. We have a full house today. We're also welcoming to the podcast for the first time Dave Kane, Dave TME from FlexPod. Welcome. Hey, guys. I'm not as experienced as a traveler as uh, Sully here, so I can't say I'm still really jet lagged and tired. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So, yeah, I've never been to Tokyo, and I've never been to an OpenStack conference, so this is going to be a lesson for me. I'm looking forward to it. I've flown through Tokyo three times, but I've never actually left the airport. Yeah, Tokyo is a gorgeous city. It really is. And it's one of those stupendously metropolitan, right? I've been to New York. I've been to Las Vegas. I've been to San Francisco, right? All these other big American cities. And none of them compare to Tokyo. I think Tokyo is the biggest city in the world, something like 40 million people in the greater Tokyo metropolis area. The NetApp meeting room was at the 30th floor of one of the hotels. So I'm looking out the windows. There's windows on all three sides. And literally, as far as you can see in any direction, is city and hmm. skyscrapers and yeah amazing uh, so before i went of course i was talking with a lot of different people and it's uh you know oh yeah tokyo is so great it's so clean and everybody's so nice and i'm like yeah okay you know people in the south are nice too right there's also the whole bless your heart thing right and <laughs> no it, literally everybody there is super nice a train ride out from narita down to the conference area the very nice gentleman sitting in front of me who spoke almost no english like we're passing by tokyo skytree he turns around, he's like, oh, make sure you take a picture, make sure you take a picture. And I'm like, okay, click, click, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm taking pictures and stuff. And so, yeah, that was just one example, right? I saw on multiple occasions, distinguished businessmen, guys wearing very nice suits that would bend over and pick up little pieces of trash, right? Little pieces of paper and just stick them in their pocket until wow. they found a trash can. City was immaculately clean. Everybody was very, very nice. It was everything everybody said it would be and more. 
Wow, I hope I get to go sometime. It sounds pretty cool. So you guys went there not to just drink sake, which I'm sure you did a little bit of that, but you guys went to go to OpenStack, right? I heard there were 5,000 people there from 52 different countries, all to talk about OpenStack, something I'm not familiar with. Before we dive into what happened at OpenStack, Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about what OpenStack is and how maybe it compares to other solutions? So OpenStack is a open source cloud based operating system. So it's a conflagration of a couple different projects. Let's talk about the history first from that perspective. Sure. It started from NASA in around the year 2010, and it's slowly evolved from that. It's gotten a lot of uh, industry adaptation and a lot of contributions from both individuals and companies. And really the aim of that is to take disparate groups of storage, compute, and networking resources and bring them into one and have them abstracted almost to the point, but also uh, provide rich API services, which really allow those resources of storage, compute, and networking easily consumable by both developers and operators. Sounds a lot like VMware. Is in a sense. I, I don't know if we want to get too much into the scalability. Yeah, no, let's totally get into it. Let's just start there. <laughs> because I think this is the biggest, uh, or one of the biggest points of confusion in this conversation. The fact that a lot of people, when they have this conversation, you know, the way that it flows is they go, hyperscalers, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, service providers, OpenStack, Microsoft, VMware, yeah. private cloud, VMware, OpenStack, Microsoft, KVM. And it's like, well, okay, okay technically, yes. Those platforms are deployed in those scenarios, they have wildly different use cases, and there are different scenarios in which one is a more appropriate solution. I think maybe we should start there, and let's talk about like what OpenStack is great at, because there are some things that it does that nothing else can do. I like history. That's one of my favorite things. Uh, historically, at first, OpenStack was really targeted towards cloud-native apps, and as we've seen some industry trends and a lot of adaptation there of it and a lot of vendors putting in their specialization and integrating into their components and platforms, NetApp definitely included in that. We've seen some of the focus change a little bit or maybe become, as an addition to cloud-native apps, some of the traditional uh, workloads. We see a lot of that. A lot of customers are starting to deploy traditional virtualization workloads on OpenStack. Yeah, but should they? It depends on who you ask. <laughs> I'm asking you. Yeah. The one thing that I don't like that I hear is I would like to use OpenStack to get away from paying VMware licenses. And I, and I think that's a naive approach. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to get to, right? I think that's an incorrect first glimpse. If that's what you want to use OpenStack for, I, I don't necessarily agree with that as a main use case. If you're trying to get to the next generation of cloud computing and try to implement more of a continuous integration, a continuous development model inside of your organization from a software development perspective, I think OpenStack is a great way to start that journey. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that OpenStack was created as sort of an on-prem AWS, right? To get that same sort of feel, that same sort of services that AWS was providing at the time just through an on-prem experience. And so the result of that is, well, the type of applications that are deployed into AWS are the same type historically that you would put into OpenStack. And those are, quote unquote, cloud native. Before we go any, any further, because we've used that term a couple times in the show, let's just go ahead and define what cloud native to us means. Sure. Andrew's view of cloud native are applications that are designed for infrastructure failure. And the corollary to that, right, the secondary or follow on would be 
They also typically adopt some sort of horizontal scalability, right? I, I don't want to say microservices necessarily, but an application where you can scale independent components as well. So Netflix, again, is was the original or at least the best known of the applications to adopt that type of architecture. But for a long time, companies would say, you know, okay, well, we're running a VMware infrastructure, we're paying VMware this money, and, and everything's working great, but you know, man, this whole economic recession thing, we'd, it'd be great to be able to cut back on some license costs. So they'd investigate OpenStack and, you know, OpenStack with KVM or something like that. And then they'd discover that, oh, well, this isn't at all like VMware. We can't use this. Well, it's a different market. VMware's bread and butter is the so-called back office applications, right? The vertically scalable, massive business applications that are, well, pets, to use that often overused term. Yep. Whereas OpenStack typically and AWS and Azure and all of those have typically focused on, well, the food or the bacteria types. If you just install OpenStack, and I still think that Nova, Nova being the compute service inside of OpenStack, I still don't think it has an accommodation for something like a vMotion. It does live migration. Oh, does it, it now? Will, okay. Yeah, with with yeah. shared storage. So for a long time, it, it did not. But that just shows you that it really is evolving to uh, be more general purpose. Well, yeah, but and this is the thing where I'm starting to get like a little confused. Because for a long time, I knew what, what OpenStack was. And I knew where it fit, and I knew when the use cases were good. But... Because, as David said, there are so many people out there that think that this is going to remove that license, and that's the approach that they're taking, that the community, from what I can tell, they're actually attempting to build that feature set and to make this thing so that it can do that. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of open source. You can make it what you want to make it. So what people want it to be is not paid for VMware. Are they just shoehorning it? I mean, is it just kind of like hammering a square peg into a round hole? Is that, is that what they're doing, or do you think it's something that can actually take form? Well, there's also a difference between capital expenditures and operational expenditures as well. As, as you shift from operational expenditures, you have to have staff that are trained and, and are knowledgeable in OpenStack from a operational, I'm sorry, a capital expenditure. If I'm writing up my POs, that doesn't come across in my PO. What comes across in my PO? The licensing. So that's kind of the invisible expense that people aren't seeing, and, and it's a good point to make. Yeah, to your point about the contributors from the community, I watched the general session from Tokyo last night, and Jonathan Bryce, I think that's his name, is the executive director of OpenStack. You know, he was announcing the new version of OpenStack, Liberty, which has 12 million lines of code, and he said, anybody in this room contributed to Liberty? And like half the room raised their hand, and it was like, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive to think that all these people are sitting in general session have literally, from the community, contributed to the software. So I thought that really made it real for me. Yeah, OpenStack Summit is a very developer-focused more so than I was expecting. I'm used to uh, the VMworlds and those types of conferences, which are, yes, they're technical, but nothing to this degree. Okay, so it sounds like we've got a little bit of a, a baseline understanding. Traditionally, OpenStack was more cloud-native, what I traditionally would just call PaaS for shorthand, um, but it could do more than that. The Liberty release, they're adding more and more capability to it. We're moving more into the traditional enterprise space, uh, a.k.a. pets. And that's where we're at. So let's go ahead and level set. That's the starting point. And let's talk about last week, man. How was the show? What were some of the things that you picked up on, some of the trends talking to the customer base that was there? One of the general sessions that I really liked was given by Scott Crenshaw, the SVP of Rackspace, where he announced uh, Carina, uh, Containers as a Service Project by Rackspace. 
And he went into a couple use cases and a couple customers, and one of them was one that we're all very familiar with, uh, O'Reilly Media Books, oh, which, yeah. is, which is now on Carina. It's an extremely interesting use case, but it's a really good one because, as we know, technical collateral needs to be refreshed considerably often. Oh, yeah. We know that, oh, don't yeah. we? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so containers for that, that's also an interesting segue is containers for OpenStack. What does that really mean? And I, I think from the last summit, the one in Vancouver, there was one session that was given there that was like, is OpenStack doomed? Because containers are an extremely hot technology now, as I'm sure Andrew can fill us in more on that. Yeah, can we just know <laughs> two different things? They're not necessarily related, although they can be used in conjunction. Again, it all comes down to the applications. So containers are very well suited to the cloud-native type of applications, which is also the same ones that have traditionally been deployed into OpenStack or AWS. So, of course, it makes sense that the first generation of applications to adopt containers widespread is going to be those that are also already in OpenStack or AWS or equivalent services. But don't you think that containers is just sort of the evolution of the virtual machine? No. Yeah, because uh, a virtual machine is full on virtualization, right? You're, you're taking an entire physical box and turning it into this virtual entity. It has an entire operating right. system associated with it exactly. and all that. Whereas a container is, at its core, it's an application packaging paradigm. No, I completely agree, but that's my point. Virtual no. machines evolved to a more efficient... You're both, you're both right. It depends on the point of view. Andrew is coming at it from the technical, how it actually works, and no, they're not even kind of related. From the operational paradigm of how you interact with the infrastructure, yes. yes, containers are an evolution of the first step that virtualization brought us down. Organizations who are sitting there today looking at this going, well, with virtual machines, I got greater efficiency out of my hardware, I could run more services on fewer rack use of equipment, and I got better isolation, you know, my deployment times went down, everything got better. Well, a application or a service that can be properly encompassed inside a container is going to get all of that on 11. Deployments are that much faster. You know, security is that much better because it's using a very, very different technology at the base that I think we've kind of beaten to death at this point. But that's why I say, in my mind, they're side by side, right? These are, these are sister technologies that can be used in conjunction to build a superior solution. People are, again, like when they're using OpenStack as a substitution for VMware, they're also trying to use containers as a substitution for VMware. And they're really just trying to find their way and figure out what this stuff is going to do for their, their business. It's just a matter of figuring out what exactly they're going to use it for in their environments. And then it really starts to take form, I think. I will say I agree with the majority of what Glenn said. There are some fundamental differences. Um, it know. wouldn't be a show if you agreed with everything <laughs> I said. No, uh, I, I don't want to change the focus to containers. We're here to talk about OpenStack and all of that. So suffice to say that containers themselves are primarily today used for ephemeral-type operations. I recently read an article, something like 47% of all containers exist for less than an hour, and 27% exist for less than five minutes, hmm. um, You know, compared to a virtual machine where you can't get it up in less than an hour. Sure, right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah, they are similar use cases, but you have to be conscious of the application. And what I typically tell people when I'm giving containers presentations is it's not containers or virtual machines. It's containers and virtual machines. They each have their own strengths and weaknesses. All right. All right. So Karina was announced, which seems pretty exciting to have containers as a service. Anything else? Andrew, what did you take away? Was there any big announcements that stood out for you? There was nothing that really surprised me. I will say that Manila was a big thing for NetApp, right? We've been talking about Manila for a while. It's now a thing. Well, tell us what Manila is. Right. So Manila is uh, essentially file shares as a service for your Nova instances. 
So just like Cinder is block storage as a service, right? I can go in and I can request a volume be provisioned against one of my Nova instances. Well, I can go in and request a file share and NFS exports for a series of Nova instances. So uh, really interesting stuff. If you're using, you know, NFS, if you're using file shares, right, for your applications, you no longer have to provision a virtual machine, provision a Nova instance and give it some cinder storage and then set it up through there. It's now direct. You know, that is the one thing that I'm super jealous about as someone who doesn't get to play an OpenStack uh, very often. I typically live in the more enterprisey uh, spaces <laughs> of VMware Microsoft, but man, did they get storage right. The way that the plugin ecosystem works, the way that it's standard space interfaces, the way that the vendors are working together to build established definitions. Listen, it's 2015. There's no other platform in the world where we can deploy block file and object through a common abstraction layer other than OpenStack. It's the only game in town that's managed to pull that off. Yeah, there's something to be said for open source. And I don't know if OpenStack is unique or special. Literally, right, NetApp is not the only storage company that contributes to all of these definitions, right? Pretty much anybody who sells storage is also a contributor into the entire thing. So we all work together for the greater good or mutual benefits, and then we differentiate on the platforms. So let let the consumer consume it as easy as they possibly can and let our individual platforms speak for themselves. Do either of you have any insight into how much NetApp actually contributed to either Liberty or to OpenStack in general? I'm curious. I know we were significant contributors to Manila, but I don't know exactly how much. Okay. And of course, Cinder, we've contributed our own driver and that type of stuff. I want to say we were the number one contributor to Manila in the Liberty release. You know, this was the Mataka Design Summit. You know, the design summits that, you know, folks get together and they design the next release. Yeah. You know, meet in that way. But, you know, one thing that I want to touch on that you said, Glenn, was this playing field and level of abstraction. There's no other platform like that. Take it from a, a user perspective, both as a solution architecture uh, writer of myself, but also a user of it. The, the thing that's really nice about OpenStack is you can use certainly the core services there, but you can also use uh, other services as well, depending on your use cases in your respective businesses. So if you only need Cinder and Nova, you can use that in your environment. But playing on Andrew's point about Manila, one of the other really interesting things, we had a colleague of ours here at NetApp just write a paper about this, combining Manila, the file share as a service, and Sahara, the big data uh, service, together, and you can actually abstract deploying workloads on a tenant-focused, multi-tenant cloud there for workloads in either Apache Spark or Hadoop workloads, and then run Manila, run the data sets on there, either native HDFS or NFS, and have those totally abstracted and automatable there in your environment. And by the way, NetApp also wrote a Hadoop connector for NFS, so, you know, it's there too. Dude, you just said, you just took the words out of my mouth. Like, David's over here talking, and I'm, I'm over here like... Yeah, and you can grab Hadoop connector for NFS, and all of that is just going to be exposed. You are in my head, sir. You need to get out of it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not okay with that. So, what's NetApp's power play? You know, what makes us faster than a lot of these other storage vendors when it comes to OpenStack? So, I would say from a speed and delivery perspective, uh, we have validated reference architectures that have been out there and released. Myself and certainly others from NetApp. Uh, folks from Cisco and then folks from Red Hat have come together for a technical engineering effort to validate an OpenStack deployment, specifically Red Hat Enterprise Linux OpenStack Platform 6 on FlexPod. And in that reference architecture and certainly other talks and you know, breakout sessions that I've done at Insight and other conferences, 
we show the power of flex clone and really what that means in an OpenStack context. I know we talked about you know DevOps and spinning up instances really quickly, utilizing uh, NetApp FAS on the back end in tandem with flex clone and OpenStack and our unified Cinder driver that Andrew mentioned allows us to rapidly provision instances in there typically much faster than some of our competitors. I want numbers. Give me real numbers. <laughs> so purely from a numbers perspective, as part of the validation effort, we were able to spin up 1,000 instances. That's 1,000 cinder volumes for persistent instances, you know, spun up in the resulting OpenStack cloud, spun up in 26 minutes. That's pretty fast. Yeah, and that's that's not a uh, lab queen image, I would say, not not just a Cirrus 512 yeah. meg, uh, you know, image, right? It's a... You know, 40 gig root disk, one gig of, of memory, a fully usable VM. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, you know, this is kind of the beauty with, with our architecture. You know, with FlexClone, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're kind of cheating a little bit, but that's okay. It's just better living through science and math, you know. The important thing there is the number of instances because that speaks to the platform and that speaks to the amount of work that the open source community spent early on to make sure that the architecture was ready to scale. In some ways, I think they almost held themselves back because they spent so much time worrying about scale that the features took a long time to come in. But because they spent that time, now you're sitting on a framework that's capable of processing 1,000 jobs in 26 minutes, which you know you may look at that and go, well, that doesn't sound like a lot. Try doing that with VMware or Hyper-V. Good luck. You're just not going to drive it that hard. It's not going to happen. Well, I also think it's important to point out that we're still able to surface up the value of the underlying storage platform. So, yes, when we stood up 1,000 Nova instances using that sender uh, backing image, right? So, yeah, it's doing flex clones of the underlying disk in order to spin up those instances. But it's still clustered data on tap. So all of the manageability, all of the efficiency, all of the other things that come as a part of clustered data on tap is still there. And guess what? It's a unified sender driver, which means that it also works with E-Series. If you have E-Series storage connected into the same infrastructure, you can provision sender volumes against that as well without having to change. I, I just want to take umbrage with the notion that using FlexClone is cheating because that technology <laughs> is awesome, and we came up with it. So, no, it's not cheating. It's only cheating if you get caught. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally cheating. It's don't totally cheating. We don't, we don't actually move any data. We just do a bunch of metadata ops inside the file system. It, it, it's, That's it's, totally cheating. It's now, still winning. It's still winning. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we'd be fools to do it any other way. It's a brilliant technology can that I can't... Can I split the flex clone? Can I make it real data? All right, that's a good point. <laughs> you can rehydrate it out into its own volume and its own inode. Yeah, okay. So technically, the, the whole data lifecycle is there, but it's still a little bit of cheating. I love it, though. Like I say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But then again, I'm a Patriots fan, so yeah. you know, it, it is what it is. Now you're taking the words out of my mouth, Glenn. So get out of my head. These are deflated volumes? Okay, no, no, I don't approve of this. Okay, <laughs> let's get back to OpenStack. Yes. You know, the other thing that I would mention also, you know, as part of these validation efforts, it lowers risk for customers. You know, Glenn and myself and others have certainly contributed to Cisco-validated designs and NetApp-verified architectures over the years, but... Taking OpenStack and deploying it on a converged infrastructure platform is no trivial task, or even deploying OpenStack in general. So we've taken a lot of the guesswork out for you and given you prescriptive instructions, and I believe the deployment guide is 365 pages chock full of goodness there for you to implement in your respective environments. With it, there's two platforms there, uh, NetApp FAS and NetApp E-Series. On the NetApp FAS, we deploy our Cinder volumes and our Glance images. 
So for a block and a file perspective, that's what we uh, provide to the resulting OpenStack deployment. And on our E-Series platform, we deploy Swift, which provides object storage for the resulting OpenStack deployment. So Manila's new then? And is that why we don't have a deployment for Manila yet? Manila has gone through a concept phase from concept to incubation. From a RHEL OSP standpoint, yeah. it will be uh, fully supported in production in RHEL OSP 8. Same thing with Suzy Cloud 6. That's where Manila will be in production. That doesn't mean that a customer can't necessarily deploy it and implement it now. It's just that moniker there. As it goes through the next cycle, it will be fully in production. So, yeah, I, I think it's important to point out that there is core vanilla OpenStack which Manila is a full project inside of there. And then there are the vendor deployments, so RHEL OSP, et cetera, which you know, Red Hat tests and integrates with their own uh, software stack. So Manila itself, full-blown project, that is, it is files Up as and a service, right? Up and running, right? But the vendor implementations do not necessarily have all of the projects incorporated into them. Yeah, welcome to Linux, right? I mean, th this is how open source Linux works. It's always worked this way. You know, there's a propagation with the code trees where it takes a while. It, it gets built out on a root. It makes it back into the core kernel, and then it distributes out through all the distros. I want to reiterate the amount of effort that Dave and company put into that TR. OpenStack, for all of the things that it does, and it does really well, it is an incredibly complex piece of software, and it is an incredibly complex setup in particular. A lot of organizations simply they're intimidated by the risk and by that setup process. And, you know, how do I know I'm setting this up according to best practices? How do I know that I'm setting this up the correct way and not, for lack of a better term, screwing myself in the future, right? Well, guess what? Dave and his guys, they're a whole team of people who specialize in OpenStack. This is what they do. And they put all of that knowledge on paper and got it peer reviewed and published. And, you know, now there you go, right? Have fun with it. I'm curious. You know, I completely agree with that. When we talk inside the team, what we talk about is, you know, we are here to remove risk. That is our job. We are not necessarily here to build the perfect thing because, as we've talked about before in this very show, a bespoke architecture is always going to be the most efficient. A one-off, custom-built, designed for the particular application and or customer environment will always beat us in efficiency, but they will not be able to beat us in risk. That is a very risky proposition to build it from scratch by yourself because you have to have everybody lined up, and if anything goes wrong, you're not going to make it to production. You're going to miss your ship schedule. What something like FlexPod can do is let you take this incredibly big, this incredibly complex thing that scares the bejesus out of just about everybody in the industry these days, except for those consultants that are buying cars based on deployments, right? <laughs> you know, those guys love it. But everybody else, it's a really scary proposition. So FlexPod and solutions like FlexPod can absolutely help customers you know, at least dip their toe in there, right? You know, if you're an existing vSphere shop, if you've got three blades sitting in a UCS chassis, you can grab that CBD and walk through it and at least get the experience and do a deployment and get it up and running and know that maybe it's not production. Maybe you are just building a little test dev thing off to the side to play with. But you know, A, you can deploy it because we take all the guesswork out. Yep. And B, when it's up and running, it'll be ready to go. You're not going to have issues. So Dave said something earlier in the show about people choosing a solution like OpenStack based on price, which you didn't wholeheartedly agree with. I would imagine, and I've heard this in the past, that a lot of hesitation in previous times, people would say, well, I, I don't want to go with something that's open source because of the supportability or the lack thereof, right? So with like a CVD, that sort of goes away. 
Because we're well, validating it and supporting it from a NetApp perspective. Well, support is a tricky a tricky question. Uh, in this case, since we're dealing with Red Hat OSP, yes, uh, it is all supported under a single support umbrella, the FlexPod Cooperative Support Agreement, um, because we do have Red Hat and Cisco and, and NetApp all underneath the single umbrella, and we can service all three of those environments. But Traditionally, when you move into an OpenStack world, something David was talking about is you're going to be able to reduce your CapEx potentially because you can whitewash You know, if you really want to go all the way into that extreme. But your operational expenses are going to go up because the, the headcount and, and the types of people that you either need to have on residency and consulting agreements for assistance and or in-house as permanent operations staff, those are different people. And you probably don't have them today. Or if you do, then you're like Walmart and you've already made this switch, right? You've already just looked at it and said, we're just going to do dev and run our website inside, you know, OpenStack and be done with it. I completely agree, right? And, you know, oftentimes people will associate open source as being free as in speech and free as in beer. But the talent isn't necessarily free. And a lot of times you're paying for the expertise, not for the software. Uh, So it's an important thing to keep in mind if you're an organization that is looking at deploying massive open source projects. I didn't know beer was free. Well, it is on Friday here. <laughs> <laughs> to your point, Pete, we've come along a, a, about a five-year journey in the OpenStack space here now, and there's been a lot of evolution there, a, a lot of great work there. Certainly at the Mataka Summit, you know, NetApp, this is our splash conference for Manila where we came out and specifically stating that Manila is ready for production workloads. It absolutely is. Uh, the other thing with the FlexPod CVD is it lowers risk. It's on a proven converged infrastructure platform, also celebrating five years, $5.6 billion in revenue, over 100 validated designs there on that platform. Nice. It's an excellent platform, and it makes OpenStack easier, not only with a, an evolved converged infrastructure platform, but grown-up storage. So I'm curious, just coming back from the summit, you know, you guys talked to a lot of devs, talked to a lot of users and a lot of consultants. Is that still where the biggest lift is, just being able to get this thing up and running and have the knowledge to do it day to day? Or is that not quite the challenge that it was 18 months ago? So I think a lot of that is being addressed, whether it's through the different vendor distributions, RHEL OSP and HP Helion and all of the others, right? They all have their own, you know, here's how to install it. Here's, you know, the full set of documentation as opposed to the vanilla OpenStack where it's intimidating to install. I've done it a number of times, and despite doing it a number of times, it's still an intimidating install. The second part of that is, well, the project itself is aware of that. And we see that with projects like Cola, where they are taking all of the OpenStack services and containerizing them, where now through a set of, well, containers and Ansible scripts, you can deploy an entire infrastructure in less than 20 minutes. How did you figure out how to wield containers back into this conversation? <laughs> you were just like yeah. a magician of a TME, man. It doesn't matter. Let's, let's talk about cars. I'm going car shopping this weekend. You know containers? Yes. Containers run inside that car. Did you know that your, uh, your speedometer is actually a container? I think also one of the projects to watch is Triple O, OpenStack on OpenStack. So we're actually taking a subset of OpenStack to deploy OpenStack. And so using the bare metal orchestration project called Ironic to discover physical resources, add them into the triple O environment and henceforth known as the undercloud, and then deploying the overcloud, which is an implementation either virtual or on top of bare metal, where your instances, containers will live in the resulting deployment. Don't we also have a NetApp GitHub with like some cookbook type stuff for this? Is that an accurate assumption? I mean, can we talk a little bit about that? 
So on netapp.github.io, we have a deployment and operations guide, and it's extremely helpful. It's prescriptive advice and guidance for the various OpenStack projects, you know, Cinder, Glance, Manila, that really how to get those set up and working well with NetApp storage. And Swift. And Swift, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) One more thing. I I know we're we're getting close to the end here, but before we do leave, I do want to ask you guys. I know NetApp had several sessions uh, at OpenStack. Can you tell us a little bit about what those sessions were, and if possible, are they online? Yes, absolutely. So one of the great things about the OpenStack Summit is all of the talks, the general sessions, as well as the V Brown bags, are recorded and placed on YouTube almost immediately. And from a NetApp perspective, we had four unique general sessions, and myself, I had two V Brown bags at OpenStack Summit. Yeah, we were watching them on Popcorn Friday, buddy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So the first one was uh, Yahoo Japan builds an OpenStack enterprise storage architecture for Japan's largest internet portal. This is going back to the conversation we had about scale. I believe they reached a scale of about 50,000 instances there. And uh, that was a really good story uh, presented by Kiro Katano-san, NetApp SE from Japan, from the TMEs here on the uh, Data Fabric group here in the OpenStack group. Uh, we had an update, Manila, specifically from my colleague Akshay. He did a, a Manila session. And then my colleague Jeff Appleway had a Manila and Sahara, some of that integration, the really cool integration and a corresponding TR on you know how to set up and orchestrate that joint effort there. This is also a great thing. OpenStack is hard to set up. Well, what about trying it cloud on tap in AWS and seeing some of the NetApp integration pieces there right in your browser there? My, my colleague actually, again, did a session titled Test Drive for OpenStack with NetApp Cloud on Tap. That is an awesome way to get started. If oh, you- yeah. So I was talking to the esteemed Chad Morgenstern the other day, and he was telling me how just for fun, just for funsies, he went out and completely automated deploying a full-up OpenStack deployment inside Amazon using Cloud on Tap. So I can't remember the exact automation framework he used, but he was like, it was super simple, man. I just grabbed the config files. I put it inside the engine. I said, here are my AMIs. Here's the Cloud on Tap license key. Go. And an hour later, I had OpenStack up and running in the cloud. It was awesome. Well, his inbox is really going to like you. Yeah. <laughs> No, man, that guy's brilliant. Yeah, he's you know, guy. Well, I also think his reason for it was pretty simple, right? I mean, I'm performance engineering. This is my job. More and more workloads are moving to the cloud. I need to know this cold. I need to understand this environment better than our customers. So the only way to do that is to use it. But to speak to your point about being able to automate and or- orchestrate OpenStack itself, that is one thing where they've just nailed it. But of course they were going to nail it. You know, it's an open source project. Those guys know that automation is important. Yep. It's enterprise companies that think that GUIs are important. right? <laughs> Open source projects start with infrastructure and put a GUI when they try to get normals to use it. Right. Enterprise products start with a pretty GUI and then try to get the underlying infrastructure ready to scale and actually function later. Hey, Microsoft was guilty of that for many years there, Mr. Sizemore. Oh, dude, they still are in a lot of cases. Come on. Pretty, pretty <laughs> pictures, V1. No, at least they start with code now, right? They're getting better. PowerShell? Uh, yeah, they're, well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> Dave, I had a question about the FlexPod CBD that you guys did. Why Swift? Why didn't you slap some storage grid in there? I believe at the time we got started, uh, storage grid wasn't there yet in terms of GA availability. I, okay. I don't believe it was All there right. yet. So, you know, in the resulting deployment, block file, and object. Absolutely. So Swift was a natural choice for that. But I am having conversations with the Storage Grid web scale team. I'm very interested in that product because I believe it, it, it makes uh, object storage even better. Oh, absolutely. That thing is a beast. Yeah, it's, it's pretty it, awesome. I don't think there's anything like it. 
you know, I, in, in a lot of ways, I'd put it up against, like, S3 proper. Yeah. I, I think it's ready to fight. Absolutely. Wow, that thing's pretty damn impressive. Absolutely. Well, it, it is an S3 interface, right? And that's actually the most commonly used interface into uh, storage grid web, web scale is S3. But it can also act as a swift endpoint. Yeah, in a weird in a weird change of things, somehow like S3 has supplanted CDMI and is now just like the interface that Object is using going forward. <laughs> well, I personally will be looking to see the update of that with Storage Grid in the future because that is a product that I am I am trying to find projects to bring into. I want to work with it. I want to play with it. That and AltaVault. Those are two things in our portfolio that I am personally looking for projects where I can bring them in because I think they're cool. So the good news, AltaVault can also act as a backup target inside of OpenStack. So there is a an NFS driver for backups that you can target AltaVault against. It's just like the data fabric mic drop. It's just like, go ahead, give me a use case. Yeah, sure. No, no, totally, totally. It's there. No, yeah. it's shipping now. What? I, can, I, can, I can hear Rachel Dine saying, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> My final question for you guys on the way out, this is kind of what I find most interesting about doing trade shows, uh, is you get this trial by fire, especially working stand duty, working on the booth. So many faces, so many conversations, two-minute shots. Uh, over the course of a week, you can really get a feel for where it's at. So it's two-parter to each of you. I want to start with you, Dave, and then we'll finish up with Sully the Monster here. One, where's the actual use today? And then two, where are they trying to move it to? What's the next big problem that they're trying to solve inside this solution stack? Because I think every solution stack, A, has a primary use that it's great for today, and then B, has something that it's trying to get better at uh, in an alternate use case that it wants to be able to do tomorrow. So getting back to your point about talking with customers in the booth, and certainly after sessions, I get the feeling that there's still a huge disparate knowledge base between folks that use OpenStack. There's folks that are there. I believe the statistics at the OpenStack summits were, it's either between 50 or 60%, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, if you know, that are there for their first time, that are there really to just... What is this OpenStack thing? How can it help me solve business problems? How can it help efficiency inside of my environment or my IT shops? And so a lot of those folks that are there, they're just asking questions, and they're just trying to wrap their head around this uh, you know, open source cloud operating system that's been you know, pontificating and evolving over the past five years. But then you also have folks that are just so wicked advanced, it's just unbelievable, that uh, get up at the keynotes, and they are the winners of the Super User Award, I believe it was NTT, that are just doing absolutely amazing things evolving their business. And even you know, other folks, uh, I believe in the keynotes we were hearing from, I believe it was uh, SK Telecom, uh, Kang Wan Lee, the SVP for research and development there, he was using OpenStack to do a next-generation 5G networking there and network functions virtualization. And I believe you know, the savings in capital expenditures and operational expenditures of using that were just absolutely incredible up in the high 60s, high 70s in terms of savings that they found for their company. So in terms of a general use case, I'm going to give the cop-out answer, it depends. It depends on the customer set. It depends on their knowledge and, and experience there and playing around with things and getting it implemented in their environment. But as you see folks get more comfortable with that, they start to utilize more of those projects. They start to realize the integrations there between the various projects and can really, as you stated, from an open source perspective, it'll do whatever you want it to do. That breeds complexity at some points, but it also breeds flexibility and power. 
Yeah, especially if you're willing to grab a dev team and jump in the co-tree, right? Yep. I mean, if you're willing to roll your sleeves up and get dirty in there, you can make it to anything you need it to do. Yeah, but where is it going, really? I, I, I think, you know, we talked about, you know, at one side, the, the traditional virtualization, the VMwares, the Hyper-Vs, and then we talk about the next generation of things, you know, Kubernetes, Docker, the, the container orchestration. I personally, Dave's opinion, feel that OpenStack is going to be in the middle of that as it adds more enterprise features like to Cinder, consistency groups, and volume replication. These are the enterprise features that customers are asking for that they want in a, in a cloud operating system environment. Yeah, and you know, they've already got that other ecosystem. So if they get that integration right, like out of nowhere, this thing could turn right back around and, and just be a world eater again. There's a feeling that OpenStack is kind of losing a little momentum. A bunch of companies that spun up around, we're going to go make billions with OpenStack. And then unfortunately, some of them started to fail. Some of the money started to, to fall out. And, and there's this big fear inside the extended community. And I kind of shared a little bit myself. I'm just like, well, you know, this thing... This thing is largely being funded by vendors, you know, like NetApp, who are, who are putting their money where their mouth is, and we're we are paying people Absolutely. to write code for this thing full time, even though we don't sell it. Yep. Right? It's just a really cool technology that's got an open ecosystem that we can work within. But if that train ever stops, like where's this innovation going to come from? Are there enough big enterprises to to make it self sustaining? I think that's the fear, um, or at least the fear that that I'm aware of through the community. I think containers could, that, that could be really interesting. Like if they nail that, it could bring a whole new set of uh, innovation and, and vigor to the OpenStack world. Yeah, my thought was, you know, you said NetApp being a big contributor, but what about Rackspace? I mean, if Rackspace wasn't so heavily vested into OpenStack, where would OpenStack be? Well, yeah, I mean, they, they were the champions early on. You know, NASA, you know, yes. initially funded it. Rackspace tried to turn it into commercial offering to go head to head with Amazon. They tried to go slay Goliath with this thing and hats off, man. Like you gotta have a giant set to even attempt that. <laughs> um, but you know, we are where we are today yep. and, and I, I think we've articulated there are places where it's a great solution and there are places where it's still a little bit of a stretch. But the future sounds like it's still bright. All right, Absolutely. Andrew, your turn. I think it all comes down to the applications. There's been several studies done by Gartner and IDC and, you know, pick your analyst firm, where the consensus is that traditional enterprise IT applications are going to be stagnant for the near future, the next three to five years, right? Not a lot of growth. But it's the so-called cloud native, the term everybody loves to hate, platform three applications that are going to be growing. No, it's web scale. That's the one we love to hate. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, well... Yeah, take your pick, I guess. Uh, so if you're an organization who either can't or doesn't want to adopt a public hyperscale cloud, AWS, Azure, whatever it happens to be, well, you've got OpenStack. And Microsoft is coming along, Azure Stack, Pack, Rack, whatever they call that thing. Right, just like insert Azure pack and stack into a hat and pull names out. And rack. Hey, man, they learned from VMware. They're just putting yeah. Azure in front of everything. <laughs> so... Uh, it is evolving, right? Uh, VMware is doing their part as well. They're coming along with their offerings. But, you know, those, those cloud-native Platform 3-type applications are where the growth is projected to be at. So a lot of organizations are looking at that. You know, how do we address that? How do we modify our, you know, evolve our application architectures to take advantage of it? And that's not going to slow down. Containers, I think, only make that easier to consume. It's the same, literally the same application architecture. It's just instead of deploying an AMI or a Nova instance and, and relying on something like Puppet Chef Ansible Salt to do the configuration, the secondary configuration of it, it's just deploying a container. So same application architecture, just a different 
deployment paradigm. That's that's all it is. Awesome. That was great. We're going to add a couple of TR references as well as uh, links to the OpenStack sessions that will be held at NetApp Insight Berlin in a couple of weeks. Uh, before we take off, Andrew, do you have any closing words about OpenStack? I do. I wanted to do a, a quick thank you and, a, a, well, a, a really big thank you to our Japanese team. Uh, those guys were tremendously helpful. They were tremendously gracious hosts, helping us not just with the language barrier, but with the culture and the logistics. I know that they helped tremendously with the logistics. So, uh, so Daniel-san, Sinda-san, uh, you know, thank you uh, big time on the marketing side, helping us out in the booth. Same thing with Kambara-san and Kondo-san, uh, who were SEs that were helping us out in the booth and answering uh, a lot of really technical questions and doing some translating for us. So, nice. yeah, tre tremendously helpful. And then uh, Risan, who helped with a lot of the logistics, right, and getting everything set up and making sure the booth and all of the things in there were, were all in order. So, yeah, that team has been absolutely amazing and, and can't thank them enough. They did a, a lot of work for us. That's awesome. So cool to be part of a team, right, that's so global that you can go on the other side of the world and get coverage like that. That's 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 really cool. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Rhee was helping me with uh, with like hotels, right? You know, it's uh, I don't know which hotel to stay at. You know, is this a good one? And and she was giving me feedback. So yeah. what's what's really awesome is that you have Japanese liaisons because there is zero English in Tokyo for the most part. I mean, it's it's sparse, very sparse. You can get English menus, but for the most part, it's just like good luck. Yeah. Yeah. We uh. So we had a large chat group going, and we were giving directions with pictures. You know, go until you see this sign, turn left, and go until you see this sign, and sending pictures of of what was around. So nice. It was uh, it was interesting. It worked out really, really well. Like I said, Tokyo is just a fabulous city. You know, Andrew, uh, that that is a heck of a good point. My time here at NetApp, the Japan team in particular. You know, we have this for all geos in all areas. So so I don't want anyone to feel underappreciated. But those guys basically have to recreate everything themselves. Because of the language and cultural barriers, our docs don't work. You know, you can't just translate it. You got to rewrite them, and they do that in Geo so that it's applicable to that customer base. They have always been rock stars, and they continue to be. So, absolutely, that's it. Any opportunity we get to interact with them, I always want to do it, just because it, over the years, like once you get over the the language stuff, it's always just such a pleasurable experience. Absolutely, yeah. Can't say enough good things about them. Very cool, Dave. How can we stalk you on Twitter? I'm available on Twitter at, at V-T-H-E Dave Kane, D-A-V-E-C-A-I-N. No, it's not meant to be vain. Wow. The Dave Kane. I like it. Awesome. All right. Well, again, we'll leave all of the TR references, the insight sessions, everything on the show notes, and uh, I think that's going to do it. All right. Well, that music tells me it's time to go, and so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast.netup.com. Hit us up on Twitter at NetApp or subscribe to the podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes at Tech on Tap. And until next week, bye for now. So chicken sashimi, eh? Does sashimi mean raw? Yes. Uh, so that was an interesting <laughs> experience. Uh, you know, they set a plate of, uh, of something down in front of our table, right? And we're all, uh, you know, I'm looking at it kind of going, it's a little bit like chicken. But, you know, whatever, right? The other table was in it, so had a few bites. And then uh, Rison comes over. And it's like, you know, what is this? She goes, oh, it's chicken sashimi. Like, every American at the table had this horrified look on their face. Is it just and me then at some point, it's like, meh, whatever. It tastes oh, yeah. so we kept eating. Everything is so clean and well prepared there. You just you put yourself at ease when you see that. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. They, they take care of it. Wow.